forward to this now for a while, and Brother Albert's going to be teaching tonight, so won't you help me welcome him as he's up here. Well, good evening, church. What an honor and a privilege it is to be back in the house of the Lord under this roof with the shelter, with the AC, gathered together in the name of Jesus. Can we lift up some praise? Well, I wanted to uh, start off today. Let me turn this on. Sorry, excuse me. I wanted to start off today by check. Maybe too loud. By just reminding us that in this season in moving and gathering back indoors, we have such an important and teachable moment in this specific season. From every season to season, he's bringing us from one mark to another. And sometimes we can oversee the lesson in that season. And for today, as we move back here, under the roof, back into the building, he's moving us from one mark to the other. And I pray that tonight that our focus and our understanding of what the biblical church was marked by comes forth through his word today as we go to the book of Acts. So you turn to the book of Acts with me, please. And as you guys turn there, and as we get prepared to see what the church is marked by, may we be reminded to what the church is not marked by. The church is not marked by this world. The church is not marked by the pleasures and the treasures that are fading away, that is brought before our eyes every single day through the social media, through the TV, through the advertisements, right? As we drive down the freeways and see the billboards, the church is not marked by an organization. It's not marked by a club. It's not marked by a group engaged in religious work. The church is not marked by just receiving, right? We're not marked by receiving. The church is a divine organism and we are the body of Christ and we come together and we make up the church of many body parts, but one body and we belong to each other. And we are marked by the spilled blood on Calvary for my sins and for your sins and the sins of the world. Well, let's take a look here at the mark in history where it all got started as we turn to the first chapter in the book of Acts. Now, we know here that the author is Luke. Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke, and he's also the author of the book of Acts. Luke tells us a story in the Gospel of Luke that he began, what he began to do and teach, Christ, what he began to do and teach while he was on earth. And the Gospel tells of Luke, or the, sorry, the Gospel of Luke tells of Christ's ministry on earth and in the physical body. And then he transitions into the Gospel, or sorry, the, the book of Acts, where we see here the ministry of heaven through the spiritual body, the church. So we see from Luke to the Acts here, uh, this transition of what Christ has been teaching in that three-year ministry into his last words. Some suggest that the book should be called 
the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit. And again, as we move into this scripture here, if you guys like taking notes, please write down these three notes that we are going to see on what marks the biblical church. First, we're going to see what it means to identify our marks ourselves as a biblical church, what marks the biblical church. Two, what takes place or should result of that identity with him. And then lastly, what evidence do others witness through that mark? Now, Luke picks up by telling us here that the Spirit continued to do and preach through the church on earth. The first seven chapters here are tailored to the Jews. Then chapter 8, we see that Peter goes to the Samaritans. Chapter 9, Paul is converted. And then chapter 8, or sorry, yeah, chapter t uh, 8, Paul is converted. Excuse me. Chapter 10, the Gentiles now receive the gospel for the first time. Chapter 1 through 7, we see to the Jews. Chapter 8, the Samaritans receive the gospel. Chapter 9, Paul's converted. And chapter 10, the Gentiles receive the gospel message for the first time. The truth here, though, is that there's biblical spiritual principles even for us in this first book here, in the first two chapters. Some of you guys might know the first half of uh, the book of Acts as the, the Acts of Peter, and then the second half as the Acts of Paul. But from this point, we're going to see how the church acts to fulfill the remainder of the, the Bible from Acts to Revelation. And here we see that we are commanded to be witnesses to the expansion to the ends of the earth, and we're marked by the grace of God. As you guys might get an idea or have a, an idea of what my title is, it's the mark of a believer. Hopefully you guys don't get tired of hearing that. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I thank you, God, for just uh, giving us, Lord, this opportunity, Father, to praise you, God, and to worship you, Lord, and to come before you, God, in your house, Father, and to just open your word, Lord, to glean, Father, from it, Lord, uh, as your body, Father, and to continue to be reminded of what it means to be marked by the blood of Christ, to be marked as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so follow along with me as we take a look here at Jesus' last recorded words on earth. And Luke writes a story of men and women who took this great commission seriously. And he begins to spread this gospel message, and we see in verse 1 here, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, To whom he also presented himself, alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We see here that the Lord sovereignly chooses his apostles. And by his grace and sovereignty, he's chosen you and he's brought you here this evening as well to sit here at his feet and to open his word. And it's by his choosing that you're here. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives you the response to respond to that choosing, to that invitation. And now we see here that he's calling these apostles uh, by their lives and this identity of following him. And Luke reminds us that he's presenting himself alive after suffering many infall- he's after suffering. And he, and, he, and he presents himself after the suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus is continuing to speak of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And again, we see these eyewitnesses, and Luke is writing that these eyewitnesses, they saw Jesus for 40 days. There were so many infallible truths. Paul would also write in the Corinthians that over 500 people at one time saw the risen Jesus. And here, speaking the same message again, Jesus is speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4 through 5, we see, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus commanded his apostles to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise. What promise? The Holy Spirit. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own Authority. Jesus tells them it's not for you to know these times or the seasons that the Father has in place. And that same message is for us today. And this is why, as believers, we are always to be marked and ready for his return because he's coming soon. And as we continue here, we see in verse 8, this is the point here. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. Upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. So, how does the church bear witness? By receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. We see again that the first church was a community of people gathering around one person, the man. Christ Jesus, the risen Jesus. And we too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in which he gives us this grace to believe, it's a grace to believe and to accept that invitation, that he is alive and he is real, and we are being led and guided and molded by his Spirit each and every day. In John 14, 17, the Spirit of truth The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you do. You know him. For he abides with you and will be with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. 
to, nor can he know them because they are not spiritually discerned. The unregenerate does not understand the words of the Spirit. The unregenerate does not see the cross the way we see the cross. And so, too, like this first century church, we are a community with Jesus, holding him at the centerpiece of our lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living in this vital, relational relationship with him together with each other. Verse 9 here says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus now ascends to heaven, and as the apostles heard these last words from Christ here on earth, they did two things, and these two things are two things that we should also be marked by. What did they do? In verse 9, they watched, and in verse 10, they looked steadfastly towards heaven. The word that relates or is a synonym of um, looking or watching steadfastly is beholding. They were beholding, just anticipating and waiting his return. They were looking up. Verses 12 through 13, as we continue, says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. You know, I really love this verse because it reminds me that we are to continue to pray for our loved ones, to continue to just continue to put them before the Lord, trusting him with their lives. Because if you guys recall, maybe two weeks earlier, however long it may have been, a month or so, Jesus' brothers were not following him. And here now they're with the others now believing here in the upper room with the other apostles. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We see here just this unity in prayer. There's a unity here in prayer. And what I like about this is for the first time now, we see a pattern of praying in the name of Jesus. Prayer not only unites us as the body of Christ, but it marks us as the body of Christ. And prayer is critical for our accordance. As you guys may know, we meet here on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock and we come to pray. And that marks, that's a fruit of our love for Christ because we come together in unity and to pray. As we continue verses 15 here, we're going to see here that 
this new apostle was chosen, Matthias, it says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120, and said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. We see Judas here is marked as a guide who arrested Jesus, and what kind of guide maybe are you marked by today? Are you pointing people to Jesus, or is your life marked by pointing people away from Jesus? And we see here in verse 16 here, it says, or verse 17, it says, For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in the ministry. Now this man purchased a field, speaking about Judas, right, with the wages of iniquity and and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is filled of blood. So we see here what Judas Iscariot is marked by. He's marked by this guide of pointing people to Jesus for the wrong reasons, right? And he gives up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, as we see through the Gospels. But what's interesting here is also that what we notice is that he was in the ministry. That's scary, right? Because we see that there are sheep sometimes in wolves' clothing. And we have to be careful of these people, especially in these last days, because we see it happen in the days of Jesus, and it can definitely happen in today's age. As we continue here, we see it became known to all. Everybody knew after, right? Everybody knew what Judas was marked by. And it reminds me of even the scripture in Matthew 7, 21, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Has it become known to all that you are sold out for Christ? that you've relinquished all, that you hold on to your possessions like this instead of like this? What are you marked by? Because it says here, even we have to be careful that not everyone is going to enter the kingdom of heaven by saying, Lord, Lord, what is the fruit? What fruit is coming out of your life? And we see here as we continue for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. Again, speaking of this field that Judas is uh, buried in here and let another take his office. In verse 21, we're going to see a process take place. We're going to see a process. And um, just like this ministry here, there's a process when it comes to serving Christ. No one can just come in and say, I want to serve in the ministry. No one can come in and just say, I want to teach or I want to go and, and change the PowerPoint or, or whatnot. There's a process that takes place. And we see here in the early church this process that takes place in choosing this new apostle, Matthias. It says, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us 
of his resurrection. And here is the first proposed this uh, apostle here, they said they proposed two. There was two. Two qualified men of God. One was Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And I can tell you right then and there, I would have chose Matthias because if someone has three different names, I'm going to confuse this guy or I'm, I might think, you know, does he have different personalities or what's going on here? Why does he have so many nicknames? Is he trying to hide from someone? But they chose Matthias. But, they, but the process continues through verse 24. Verse 24, well, they do something. They prayed. They prayed. And they said, O oh Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these to who you have chosen. I love when people say, the Lord knows my heart. <laughs> because, yeah, he does. He knows everything about it. He knows really you know, who you are. He sees your heart each and every day. And they pray and they say, Lord, you know the hearts of these men here. Show us. And he does. It says, verse 25, to take, they say, uh, to take part in this ministry of the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots. They cast their lots and it fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And I like this here because this is the last time that we see here that they cast lots because what we're gonna see in the next chapter as we continue is that they are now, they're gonna get filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, we are not to cast lots, right? We are not to, um, what's that? Uh, where they, they play those, the Ouija board, right? Or those tarot cards. That is not the mark of a Christian. If we've ever done that, we have to repent because we have the power. It lives with inside of us. It's the spirit of the living God. But here the, the apostles, um, they cast lots um, and it falls on Matthias and they choose him. And again, as we continue chapter two here now, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all, they were, they were all with one accord. They're in the upper room here. They're in one accord and one place. They were with one accord and one place. And there's an emphasis here because of the fact that being in one accord and one place, it shows a unity, but it also shows obedience. And it's in the unity and the obedience that the Holy Spirit's presence and power and influence can work through our lives. It's through unity and obedience. We continue in, in verse 2 here. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon them. What happens here is so amazing. It's this picture of the Holy Spirit. God sends his spirit down on these believers, and he fills them, and he empowers them with his spirit. In verse 4, it says they were filled with, this Holy, with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here, the Lord calls his apostles. And then the next thing he does is he empowers them with the mark of the Holy Spirit. 
And then what takes place after that is they're enabled to speak the things of God because they're marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, we see here, and there was a dwelling in Jerusalem. There was, and there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So again, here now, these 120 Jewish believers come gathered in the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. The feast is called Pentecost, right? And they're gathered here and they're waiting, or as they're waiting, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says happens actually happens. This profound, overpowering, just mysterious and very powerful experience takes place. And all of these different believers from different areas of that region now start speaking in different tongues, but they're able to understand what they're saying. They're speaking the wonderful works of God. Verse 12 here says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others mocking, saying they are full of new wine. As you guys may have heard this before, it was nine o'clock in the morning, right? Maybe in our old life, we drank that early, but you know, here it doesn't show, it doesn't, they're, they're not drunk, it's so early in the morning, right? And we see here that this, these believe that the Paul is about, or Peter, excuse me, is about to stand up and step forward with boldness, have, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and to address these men. We see here in verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So Peter stands up and the others with him in unity and accordness, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see the first major event in church history, Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon here comes again with boldness. It only comes with boldness because he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And through verses 15 through 39, we're not going to read them, but in 15 through 39, he's quoting Joel, he's quoting David, and in doing so, he's a very effective witness, Peter. He's proclaiming to the Jewish nation that, and, and proving to them that their Messiah had been raised from the dead, that he is alive, and also accused Israel for rejecting and crucifying him. 
crucifying their own Messiah. So again, now through this area up to this point from, from the first verse of chapter one up into this sermon here, we see here already what it means to identify ourselves with Christ. Prayer, unity, accordness, and then Peter also will tell them in the sermon to repent. A Christian is marked by daily repentance. And then we also see right here what takes place as a result of the, as we identify with him, that we're filled with the Spirit, we're empowered by the Spirit, and we are people who pray. And then as we continue, we also see here that the church is going to show here what it means to be marked again as a believer in Christ. We go to verse 40 here. So if you guys turn, turn to verse 40, still same chapter, chapter 2. This is where I want to spend the most time in these last verses from 40 to 47. And what it means to be marked as a believer. And as we're going to see here, we're going to see 10 areas that the church is marked by. We see here in verse 40 here, it says... And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who, were gladly, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. I laugh here because of the fact of the season that we're in. And um, between just some of my friends that I know are, you know are really filled with fear. It's nothing to laugh about. I pray about them. But to understand that if 3,000 people came in right now, how many of you guys would maybe be a little nervous, right? Hopefully none of us, because we are not to live. We're not to be marked by fear, right? How many of you guys would be scared if someone sat next to you without a mask? Hopefully none of us, because we are not to be marked by fear, right? And here, overnight, 3,000 believers are born again. And we see here that something's going to take place. These activities are about to take place. Verse 42, it says that they continued. They continued. The word continued is also known as the word devoted. They devoted themselves. Devoted is devotions or devoted um, is sometimes, you know, found uh, as uh, Christianese, right? People say, oh, have you done your devotions today, right? It's, it's like a, it's this code word, right? If there's any uh, new believers in here today, um, devotions is a series of um, established time of reading your Bible, an established time of praying an established time of hearing from the Lord. And we see here that these, this, this church here, this early church, this community of witnesses, they devoted themselves to a rhythm of reading. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and in prayers. And we're going to break these down here because... When it comes to the mark of the Christian, when it comes to the mark of the believer, you can tell a lot about someone by their routines, by their habits, 
right, by the things that they mark themselves with. You know, um, I have a problem that I, you know, mark myself by buying one brand sometimes or three brands. I'm so, you know, loyal to Nike. You know, I'm branding myself. You know, some of us maybe get tattoos and we brand ourselves that way, right? But here we're gonna see what the brand or the mark of the believer is as we continue through the end of chapter two on what they continue to do, what they were steadfast and devoted to. Because they adopted these habits and they came together as a church and they were growing and they were devoting themselves to this, these things. They devoted themselves to number one, the apostles' doctrine, to teaching, to gathering and learning. The Christian that is marked by this is one that is a learner. They, they learn the divine truth from God's word. At one point, they come together and they open up God's word together, right? As we are doing right now. But we can't grow beyond what we don't know. If we do not open this book, we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The teachings of the apostles, the prophets, and these men here at this time, because the New Testament wasn't written, right? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they left this mark here for us to see this perspective of what marks the believer. There's this impact here that's taking place. But there's a warning again. The warning is if we don't spend time in God's word, if we don't have a systematic reading of God's word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the schemes and the tactics of the enemy. But the importance of reading the scriptures is that we stay steadfast in them and we hold tight to them. There's a second thing that takes place, so that they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' doctrine, but they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship, what's fellowship? Another, is it another Christianese word? It is, yes, fellowship, it means hanging out, right? It means a commitment to share your time with someone else. It means sharing your resources with someone, your stuff, your, your koinonia, fellowship. Right, we're together. And there's this mutual sharing that takes place with the believer of Christ. They're marked by this fellowship. And we see here that it goes even deeper to a fellowship to serve one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, and so on. This fellowship, that's why we meet. That's why the church is so important. They're marked by this fellowship, togetherness. It's interesting because I heard once when you're not engaged, when you're not in fellowship, when you're not here, it's easy to be disconnected. It's easy to be disconnected sometimes leads to disobedience. And a disconnected and disobedient Christian is an unfruitful Christian. But here we have an integral part as a body of Christ to come together 
and to be steadfast in the apostles' doctrine in the Bible and to fellowship. Third, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I really like this because I love to eat. And, you know, anytime you come together and, and you can share a meal with someone, it's such a, there's something about that, right? There's something so sacred about sharing a meal, especially if you cook it for that person. When you pour just your energy and your time into that meal and you share a meal with someone, we call that what? Communion. Communion. We're creating these relational connections, right? When you're sitting across the table from someone, looking them in the eye, not having your phone on, and you're inviting them to come, sometimes even into the security of your home, right? Coming into your home. And we see here that this type of mark takes place on this believer when it comes to breaking a bread and as we saw before prayer prayer see our gatherings have a purpose here there's a purpose and we gather in all types of ways we gather and we're learning and we're humbling ourselves and we are breaking bread together we're praying we're opening up God's word. That is church. That marks the church. And as we continue, we see some additional marks in verse 42. They continued steadfastly. Sorry, verse 43. Then, then fear came upon every soul. Here's the next mark. Fear. Reverence. Reverence. They were marked by reverence for the Lord. The love of Christ that constrains us. That life that pleases him. That life that wants to just draw closer and closer to Christ. And then we see another one. We see here that verse 44, they were together. All that were believed, they were together. They were gathering together continually. They were gathering together and they had all things in common. Another mark. Another mark. They had all things in common. The koinia, right? The fellowship, the importance of building those relationships. They were all together. And then we see in verse 45 that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now we don't do this today, but it shows here that they were selfless, right? They were selfless. That they came with the mark of giving, right? Of being a giver. The mark of giving of their possessions, right? If someone needs your sweater, you're out, you know, maybe um, eating with your wife or your husband, your friends, and you have your favorite sweater on and you see someone who's cold, are, are you holding on to that? Or is the mark of the, the, the mark of, of a giver inside of you, the Holy Spirit, does that lead you to give them that sweater or your shoes, right? Or that meal that you just stood in line for for 15 minutes, right? The mark of a giver. And then we continue and see in verse 46 that they continue daily with one accord. Again, they were marked by accordness. In the temple, and the temple today would be here at church, right? They were together in church, breaking a bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The mark 
of a believer has simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart. So simple, right? They're so simple. And then as we wrap up here in verse 47, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people and that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had a simple heart. They gathered together. They were just praising God. They were marked by worship. How does, how does the mark of a worshiper look? Does the mark of a worshiper look like this? Does the mark of the worshiper look like this? Or when we come together and gather in the name of Jesus and offer him our hearts in submission and surrender, does the mark of a believer look like this? Look like this. Take it all. I'm yours. So here we see not only the different marks of a believer, but there's one that we missed. If you look here in the last verse, it says, the church, the, the Lord added to the church daily those were being saved. What does that imply? It implies the mark of evangelism. The mark of evangelism. And that's the mark that we have to continue also to be steadfast in is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins. That he came. He rose. He's coming again. And he's coming for his bride that is marked by these things, amongst others, purity, obedience, holiness. We see these marks here in the life of the believer. And it reflects in the fruit of public love public service, public devotion, public joy, a public ministry to show others what the true mark is, not the world, but the cross. John, if you guys, if you and Melissa can come and lead us into that heart of worship song, I really love that song. It just uh, really reminded me of what it means to be marked by Christ because all of these things don't matter if your heart isn't marked. It starts with the heart. And that song that I sang earlier, as we lift up our hearts to him, why don't you stand with me during this time? And as the Lord leads, pour out your everything to him. Because he's drawing near and time is running out.